Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the all-new KDOS 1060 app brought to you by Superbook Sports. It is a Friday. It is March 3rd. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and that's right. It's a Friday, so there's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits gift card in it for you at some strategical point in today's program. But let's first get things started, and we'll set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Bob had a conversation with Kevin Sweeney of SI.com in the 10 o'clock hour, and if you missed that, you can podcast over at KDOS1060.com. Which college basketball conference is second behind the big 12 we have some movement here the big 10 out in front at 43 percent of the vote and now the big east and the sec are tied at 29 percent apiece yeah i did not go like uh from the power conference you know metrics rankings for the question uh, they actually have the mountain west fourth uh in the conference uh, rankings and by the way for just for everybody's information the pac 12 seventh in uh the metrics as far as the conference standings go, conference power rankings go, quote unquote. So I just kind of went for the conferences I thought would get the most response. And quite frankly, uh, kind of threw maybe uh, at least for one of these three conferences, my opinion in there. Well, that'll tease us right along to 1230 when we answer that question. Uh, we'll also flip this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, a rematch from earlier in January. UCLA looking to stay unbeaten at home as well. Who wins Saturday in Westwood, U of A or UCLA? UCLA remains out in front. 73.9% of the vote, the U of A trailing at 26.1% of the vote. Yeah, both these teams, uh, impressive victories last night. UCLA running away in the second half against ASU, following a, just a stupid technical foul by Bobby Hurley. Uh, you, know, you can make a case. If you look at just the score, and you maybe didn't watch the game, you would immediately wonder, did his team quit on him after the technical foul? I watched the game, and I think that's something to think about because uh, it, it was just a, it was a total rout. Uh, ASU led the in the game at the time that Hurley got the tee, and they got run out of the building from that point on. As far as the U of A, much to my surprise, they really dominated from start to finish against USC. Uh, unfortunately for USC, uh, they had foul issues before they actually got to the first television timeout, and uh, it seems like they never got their footing in that game last night. I know they cut it to like five or whatever it was in the last 25 seconds, but they were never going to win. 
We'll answer that question around 1230. At around 1115, we will pop on out to the KDUS hotline as we'll be joined by James Herbert, CBSSports.com, to catch him, catch up with him and everything that he has to say about the world of the NBA. Of course, Kevin Durant. You also had the Mavericks uh, getting a much-needed victory with Luka and Kyrie both shining. There's a new head coach in Atlanta with Quinn Snyder, so we'll get all of James Herbert's opinions on the NBA. As I mentioned, it is a weekend ahead with Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. You can always check them out at vonhansensmeats.net. And here we go for the weekend specials, Bob. And I know that there's especially one that will catch your attention here. First up, certified Angus Choice Beef Bottom Sirloin Grill Steaks at $12.99 a pound. The Prime Bone-In Pork Chops. All right. As soon as you said that, I knew that was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Thick or thin cut at $5.99 a pound. Fresh all-natural whole flyers at $1.99 a pound. And a 16-20 count peeled and deveined frozen shrimp at $14.99 a pound. You could get me in on the shrimp if you would like to as well. You can visit them uh, at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. Craft beer, wine, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends to pair it with the weekend specials over at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. The $100 gift certificate still available to you in today's program but not just yet the nfl combine we had joe de leon on the program on wednesday to to talk to talk some of this year's prospects and i had asked him what measurement really doesn't help you figure out if a player's game will translate to the next level and well it was the 40 yard dash i mean i guess there's really no surprise for that especially if you're a lineman right like when are you ever running 40 yards down the field and at some point if you are the play has gone horribly awry and your defense <laughs> is really bad <laughs> yeah yeah if you're an offensive lineman the play has already had success and you're kind of just trailing in celebration yeah. if you're the defensive lineman then yeah it's gone really really good, bad good, good for you bad for the other <laughs> 10 dudes However, some of these numbers are just eye-popping, and I had to mention them. So Nolan Smith from Georgia, he ran a 4.39, and now he apparently is saying that he didn't run full out. That's just insane. Uh, He was also tied, though, with Owen uh, Papio at 4.39 seconds. He's a linebacker from Auburn. Lucas Van Ness, edge from Iowa. He's been catching some people's attention and uh, some some, certainly uh, some middle first-round pick, if you will. Uh, 4.58 seconds for him in the 40. Will Anderson, edge from Alabama, 4.60 seconds. That's pretty darn fast for the weight that Will Anderson is carrying. Uh, Now, this one, Pitts, I'm probably going to mess up his first name, Uh, Kalijah? Cansey as a defensive lineman, defensive tackle. He ran a four six seven. This is the fastest by a defensive lineman, defensive tackle at the combine since two thousand and three, according to Next Gen Stats. That's yeah, Joe mentioned Cansey earlier this week, so yeah, it was one of the guys that he specifically pointed out. Uh, yeah, he was a tremendous player too. So it's a What's nice here, uh, if you're into the combine thing and you think the times uh, are a you know, big deal to you, it, his on-field performance actually matched up with the combine. 
You know, Nolan Smith, you mentioned, I mean, he was injured and didn't even play at the end of the season for Georgia during the regular season. Yeah, uh, and here's some other numbers as well for uh, how impressive Cansey was. So he measures in at 6'1", 281 pounds, and his time beat Aaron Donald's of 4.68 wow. back in 2014. So Yeah, and he, he's been compared to Donald for years because obviously they went both went to Pitt. Right. They're both, quote, smaller defensive linemen as opposed to the big, you know, lumbering dudes. Uh, so I guess, you know, even some big lumbering dudes had fast times yesterday. So I kind of wonder about the playing surface a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so we had uh, Chad Reuter from NFL.com gave his day one stock up, stock down report. Uh, for him, Jack Campbell, linebacker Iowa, came in at uh, 6'4", 249 pounds with a 37 and a half vertical. Uh, and he was in the stock up category. Jack Campbell, uh, obviously, Iowa made a lot of news because of their offense's inability to score points, but they did have a pretty good defense. Well, they scored a lot of defensive touchdowns or, you know, put their, you know, feeble offense in position to score. Uh, and they had to last year. And yeah, Campbell was part of that. And he was part of the, he, he had several takeaways last year. And, uh, I guess the big takeaway is that he's now fast. Oh. We think we kind of knew that. Uh, he also had Cansey as one of his stock up uh, selections as well. Nolan Smith, Edge, Georgia, 6'2", 238 pounds. He also led this grouping of people in the vertical with a 41 and a half inch vertical. He did not participate in the field drills, however. And as you mentioned, uh, he didn't play for the majority of the second half of the season there and didn't play in the playoffs as well due to injury. That is correct. Uh, They still had a pass rush without him. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing to think about. Uh, Stock down for Chad Reuter, NFL.com here. Andre Carter, he had some production on the field with Army, but then that production that uh, they saw from him went down in 2022. And then his numbers here yesterday, he didn't run the 40, and he only jumped a 30-inch in the vertical. So for him, stock down. Also stock down was Mike Morris, defensive end, Michigan, a 4.95-second 40-yard dash at 275 pounds and just a 28-and-a-half-inch vertical. Plus, he apparently fell multiple times in the on-field drills. I think this is especially surprising. You know, Michigan, you know, Bruce Feldman has the freaks list every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now at The Athletic, he's been doing it for you know whoever he's working for over the years, he's, whether it be uh, ESPN or SI or The Athletic. And uh, yeah, Michigan actually had a couple of guys really near the top of that freaks list, and Morris was one of them. Uh, so that was his particular list. There were more uh, available to you to read, so you can go check that out if you're of interest here. Today, it is the defensive backs at 1 p.m. on the NFL Network, and then the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends get their drills and run start on Saturday at 11 a.m. The quarterbacks, however, this morning were meeting the media, and if we have some time, we'll get into some of that a little bit more in the program. But as it is right now, we have to step aside. And when we come back, we'll be joined by James Herbert of CBSSports.com to go around the world of the NBA, get his perspective on what's taking place in the West, what's taking place in the East, how Kevin Durant, the Suns, how that's all going to come together. 
So we'll talk with James Herbert on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com, and, of course, with the all-new KDOS 1060 app, which is that's the place that you need to download the app, sign up, and participate in the listener rewards so you can take advantage of the listener rewards we have available to you, including the Porta Subs Lunch for Two for a year, as well as spring training tickets to the March 24th game, Diamondbacks versus the Reds. James Herbert next. It is the Extra Point. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Returning here on KDUS AM 1060 on this Friday, March 3rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today. We pop on out to the KDUS hotline right now, joined by James Herbert, CBSSports.com, to pick his brain about the world of the NBA. James, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's start here in the Western Conference, and I want to start with the Denver Nuggets. They remain atop the standings and until further notice atop the power rankings in the West as well. Is it possible that Jokic has raised his game to another level yet again? But what has getting Jamal Murray back done to balance out this team? Yeah, I I think he is playing um, Jamal Murray, that is, I think he's playing at near an all-star level. Obviously, he's making the all-star team this year. They were cautious with him at the beginning of the season in terms of his minutes load, in terms of, you know, resting on back-to-backs and things like that. Um, when the Nuggets are at their absolute best but offensively, I mean, a lot of it still flows out of that Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic pick-and-roll, and it's a really dynamic pick-and-roll. It doesn't look like most pick-and-rolls um, in the NBA. They can even flip it around and have Murray active screener like their offense is incredible it's been incredible all season long and it's not just sort of like in, in years past where it's Jokic getting the most out of a supporting cast where you're kind of like whoa like how are they how are they managing this um it's actually a really balanced um, starting unit now I mean with Murray back healthy Michael Porter Jr. back healthy and shooting the lights out and really buying into the role um that he has and you're also by the way getting a career year out of Aaron Gordon like the, the pieces all fit together extremely well and you know I think this might like it's hard to kind of compare the seasons that Jokic has had over the past couple of years because he, he adapts his game and does what the team needs depending on the supporting cast that he has so he's scoring a little bit less he's scoring with insane efficiency um, I, the assists I mean he's almost leading the league in assists putting together another MVP caliber season um and it's just it's just been kind of wild to see how you know it didn't happen like immediately out of the gate um but to see the pieces kind of come together like i think that those of us who are really optimistic about them thought they might i mean when the aaron gordon was trade was made um we only got to see that for a few games before jamal murray got hurt and then that kind of ended um, the, the Nuggets championship hopes a couple of seasons ago. Last year, the whole thing was sort of a waiting game. Jokic carrying this enormous load, and then the Nuggets hoping maybe they'll be healthy by the end of the year, but they weren't. Like, Jamal Murray was never ready to return. Like, now they have a legit championship contending team like 
they thought they had when they acquired Aaron Gordon, like a lot of us thought they had. Um, and we've seen like about all that we could have asked to see in a regular season context to, to back that up. I think there's still some questions about them um, defensively in the playoffs. But, I mean, you can't answer those questions until we get there. You know, there's a lot of folks in uh, the Valley here that are you know, planning a, play, a parade route for the Suns championship, apparently. Uh, I'm a little concerned about whether they're going to be able to stop anybody. I did talk to somebody yesterday who thinks I'm crazy to think that. They'll just outscore the opponent. Uh, so should there be concerns about the Suns at the defensive end? Uh, I mean, at this point, I, I wouldn't call them concerns. I called them more like questions. I'm curious to see how things shake out for them defensively. Obviously, like much fewer questions about the offensive end of the court for that particular team. They're absolutely loaded. I don't know how um, any team is supposed to contend with that amount of firepower. It, it reminds me a lot um, of the Nets a couple of years ago when they were fully healthy and you had Durant getting some of the easiest looks that he'd ever had in his career um he was a similar sort of thing when he was in golden state but like the offense was a was a little bit different there just the way it functioned like i I think you'll still see a lot of um durant's kind of pet plays being used um in phoenix and him doing a similar thing but he's just also going to get like easy spot up looks like come out of the offense that the suns run that come out of Devin booker making plays and all of that um even just in his first game some of the threes that he got is like Hornets tried to play zone, and Durant just gets the ball. And says, well, I, I will bust that zone right now. Thank you very much. Um, the defensive end, look, I mean, they have good defenders on this roster. Kevin Durant himself is an elite defender, I thought, was making a case um, to be on an all-defensive team with the way that he was playing um, before he got hurt. He does things differently than the guys that the Suns gave up. He is not um, that kind of lockdown perimeter defender that Mikhail Bridges was in Phoenix. He's not going to be picking up ball handlers 94 feet and pressing them, but he's a really, really, really good help side defender, rim protector. Um, he is switchable. He's versatile. He's a good communicator. He's a smart defender. He does hold up well one-on-one against stars like when, when he is in that position. Um, so I, I think it's almost it's kind of like a matchup thing, right? Like I think in certain matchups um, when the Suns are kind of leaning on somebody else to come and protect the rim. Like, it gives them more options. It's a little easier if you want to switch Aiden out onto the perimeter when you have KD and Aiden kind of working in tandem, and KD can be that backline guy. That's not something that they really had before when, like, Cam Johnson is starting um, at power forward. At the same time, like, if you're going into a series against a Stephen Curry or a Luka Doncic or uh, whoever it might be, like, you, you maybe miss Mikhail Bridges in that scenario on the defensive end because you don't have that one guy that you're like, we're going to stick him on that superstar um, and make his life tougher. There'll be guys on the Suns roster, Josh Okogi, um, you know, Tory Craig, um, who can kind of embrace that role, and I think they will. I'm not sure which one of those guys is going to be in the starting lineup once we're talking about a second-round series. I'm not sure which one of those guys is going to, like, close most of those games maybe it's neither of those guys maybe they go lean even more into offense and have tj warren out there just getting buckets um but i do think like the ideal version of the sun's team is like all right something like the best offense in the nba a historically great one and then a defense that is still like if not um in the top seven top eight but like a top 10 like maybe average 
defensive team at worst. Like I think the pieces are still there um, to be that kind of team. It's just a matter of developing that cohesion over the next little while and figuring out the rotations because I don't think it is obvious kind of how this rotation should look. Um, when you just look at that roster, you have a lot of different players that have different sort of strengths on the wing there um, that could take up that, that kind of fifth spot. He's James Herbert, CBSSports.com, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Sticking in the West for a bit here, how do we assess the Grizzlies? The Grizzlies caught everyone's attention, you know, last postseason, poised to make some noise yet again this postseason, but they did go through a stretch in January and early February where they lost eight of nine games. They have now won three in a row and faced the Nuggets today. So are we believers in the Grizzlies? Is there enough maturity on the team? I am still a believer in the Grizzlies, um, mainly because this entire slide that you've seen before this recent three-game winning streak, it, it happened with Steven Adams out of the lineup. And this is a Grizzlies team that, ironically, like before that, they had been known as the team that can overcome any injury. John Morant, um, when he missed a ton of time last year, their Grizzlies absolutely thrived. People sort of going into this season were worried about them being without Jaron Jackson Jr. It didn't matter. They, they won a bunch of games. Desmond Bain goes down. They, they win a bunch of games. Anyway, but um, Stephen Adams' shoes are, have evidently been extremely hard to fill for this team. I, I think it fundamentally changes who they are, um, actually, on, on both ends when he's not on the court. Um, defensively, they've held up maybe a little better than, than some might expect. You've seen some issues. Like, I think Darren Jackson Jr. has a little bit of an easier time avoiding foul trouble when he's out there with Stephen Adams, when he doesn't have to be the backline defender every time um so they miss him in that respect adam maybe has improved a little bit as a pick and roll defender um this year um but offensively is where you've really seen it like they have struggled on that end uh, in a major way uh in, in the past couple of months and that's sort of the big question about them it was already the question about them i think when they were at full strength because they were a good offensive team um but they did it unconventionally like they don't have the half-court weapons that say a team like the Suns does. They don't have um, the, the amount of, you know, the beautiful offense that the Nuggets run through Jokic. Everybody's moving and cutting, and it's just wide-open shots generated pretty much whenever they want. Like, no, they do it by getting stops, running you to death, just playing super-fast brand of basketball, putting a ton of pressure on teams in transition, um, and then by just beating you up on the inside and grabbing offensive rebounds. Like, they have been the best offensive rebounding team in the league for the past few years. And when you don't have Steven Adams, like all of that pretty much goes away. So uh, basically they have had a much tougher time playing to their identity without Steven Adams in a way that has been like, honestly, it's been tougher for them than when they've been without their actual stars. Like Adams in a weird way sort of functions as a star for them. So when I look at their season overall, like, I can't read that much into them sort of flipping and all the sort of blowback about them and all the sort of talk about they need to stop talking trash and they need to um, grow up and all of this. Like, I get why people don't like them, but I think they would be winning a lot more games if they just had their starting center on the court. So as long as we're assuming that he's going to be back before the playoffs, then, you know, my worries are kind of the same as they were at the beginning of the year. Like, what is that half-court offense going to look like? Are they going to be able to manufacture um, – sort of the, the, the second chance points, the transition points, all of that stuff that is like core to who they are um, when they're deep in, in a second-round playoff series. It's not 
the bigger, more existential questions about this team. Like, are they good enough? Do they have it? Are they, like, folding after kind of trying to establish themselves as this new powerhouse? Like, I'm not really buying into all of that stuff. I just think it's more of, like, a basketball issue. I mean, they, they need their big guy. Okay, speaking of buying into, uh, did Luca and Kyrie figure out something last night, or was that just a Sixers backcourt that has problems getting stops? <laughs> uh, I, I would lean more toward the latter, um, but offensively is like not really what I'm like super worried about with that team anyway. Like they have had their kind of foibles and a couple of like notable late game situations before that. Um, even last night they gave up like an eleven nothing run. Uh, to like a Tyrese Maxey-led Sixers bunch, like um, in the final couple of minutes of the game, like it was, was sort of slipping away from the Mavs a bit. But like, I don't really, in the big picture, have a lot of doubts about their ability to fill it up. It's, it's like, if you asked me kind of the question you were asking me about Phoenix at the beginning about Dallas, like my answer would have been completely different because I don't know um, that this Dallas team is going to be able to get consistent stops um, in the playoffs. I do think they'll be extremely hard to guard with those two guys in the court and it's a massive luxury to be able to always have one of them on the court uh, throughout a playoff series so like yeah they have some stuff to figure out they, they don't naturally necessarily play off each other that well but i don't know that that matters that much i mean they're, they're so gifted individually they'll be able to cobble it up enough spacing to make lineups work on the offensive end like that that's that's all good to me um, but I mean, even in last night's game, like they, they won that game through like sheer amazing shot making. Their their defense was not great. The Sixers were piling up points too for for most of that game, aside from a couple of cold stretches. But like that that's kind of how I think the Mavs are going to have to do it. Like they're they they just got Maxi Cleaver back. That is good. Um, but just up and down the roster, I don't think they have enough two-way players. I don't think they have enough perimeter defenders. I don't think they have enough rim protection. <laughs> like, I, I think there are just a multitude of issues for them on that end, like bigger ones that it's hard to solve without roster moves, and all the roster moves they made, uh, those have those, those already been done. So, I'm curious as to see how they kind of manage this thing. I'm curious to see um, what Jason Kidd does with the rotation. Um, I was surprised with Josh Green's minutes going down recently, and like Justin Holiday taking his spot in the starting lineup, given how well Green was playing. Um, but, yeah, I think just the way they have built this team, it's sort of like we're going to try to outscore you, and if we can't, then like that, there's no real plan B. He's James Herbert, CBSSports.com, right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I want to flip this over to the East in a team that has already fired their head coach and hired a new head coach. That's Quinn Snyder, hired in Atlanta to a five-year contract. He's already made his coaching debut. Is he the right fit to fix the Trey Young situation in Atlanta and really establish some leadership with this team? Yeah, I'd like to hire. I, I think he could be. Um, I don't know that it will end up being um, this amazing partnership where Trey Young sticks around, they build a champion contender around him again. Like, we'll, we'll see. Like, there, there's some real questions there, and, like, that's not only up to the coaching staff, but I do think um, if you're wanting to build a different kind of team, if you're trying to make um, an offense that's a little less just Trey Young and DeJounte Murray taking turns um, running pick and roll and kind of being stationary outside of that, like, Quinn Snyder has like a big track record of um, playing different styles offensively and having a lot of movement-based sets offensively if that's what you want to do. If you want Trey Young's game 
to evolve a little bit if you want him to get off the ball. Like Quinn Snyder is one of the brightest offensive minds, I think, in basketball. He's been one of the top coaches in the league for a little while. So I, I think like they kind of pounced on him when they had the opportunity. Like that's why you get the five year deal because um, Quinn Snyder might have had his, his choice of a few different jobs um, if he had waited until the summer. And Atlanta just they wanted to get this done now. Um, they, they gave him a big deal to make that happen, and I, I understand why they did that. Like, I still like am a little bit conflicted um, about sort of how optimistic I, I should be right now about this team in the short term. I, I like he's coming into a situation where it's hard to know how much you can realistically change about the way you play uh, on both ends with such little time in the season and the stakes too, right? Like they are fighting. Um, for playoff slash play-in position here um, with a lot of other teams in the Eastern Conference. Other other teams in that area also have made changes recently and maybe improved, by the way, as well. I mean, the Knicks have basically leapfrogged them. They, they are looking like something like a powerhouse recently, which, which is a little bit unexpected, but Josh Hart is awesome. Um, for them, the Raptors uh, just got Jakob Pertle. They lost last night to the Wizards, but other than that, I mean, they've been much better uh, since making that trade, he's kind of transformed their team um, by giving them a different look they didn't have before. Like, Atlanta is in, in a different kind of place. Uh, Sadiq Bey was their big acquisition at the deadline. He did close the game in, in Snyder's first game. The rotation looked very different. Um, so it's interesting that he was at least, like, willing to completely change sort of the substitution patterns and how he wanted to manage games from that perspective but as far as like the systems and the way that they play like i i'm i'm curious i'm as curious as anybody about how it will work um in the short term over the long term i I think they made a great hire i think it'll be great for them but i do think like the organization um is kind of trying to recover from um you know a a trade for Dejounte murray that like made sense in terms of the kind of player that they got back i think he on an individual level um has been good for them but they just they gave up so much so the front office does not have a ton of flexibility um, in terms of building this roster forward. The John Collins situation remains a little bit just weird. Uh, they've been trying to trade him for like three years. Um, so I don't know what roster Quinn Snyder will be coaching next season, um, but I imagine he'll have some input on that, and they will try to build one that like aligns closely to the sort of values that he believes in. Right now he's stepping into a situation that he had nothing to do with constructing, and he's going to try to make the best of it. And I think from their perspective, they're just trying to sort of see what they can get out of the rest of the season, sneak into the playoffs. Um, maybe they get out of the first round. I, I don't think anybody's really predicting that, but they need to sort of define who they are and what a Quinn Snyder Hawks team looks like going forward. James, Last up for oh, me, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, the Bucks and the Celtics, uh, they're tied for the top. Well, they're, they're vying for the top spot in the East. Home court obviously made a big difference when they played in the postseason last year. Which team do you think has the edge uh, heading into the last you know month of the month plus of the regular season? Yeah, that, uh, that's the big question. The Bucks are the hotter team right now. I, I think the Celtics, on balance, have been the better team this year. I have fewer questions about them heading into the playoffs. They're a little deeper, in my opinion. They can play just any style you want. They can play big. They can play small. They can do every type of defensive team. Um, their their supporting cast has all improved, and their main guys um, have gotten a little bit more comfortable in kind of the, the, the offense that they're running and how they, they want to play. I don't think Joe Mazzula came in and completely changed 
all of their offensive sets. They're, they just got the stars off the ball a little bit more. They improved the spacing by changing some of the lineups that they throw out there. They have a little bit more playmaking on the court now that they have Malcolm Brogdon on the team, and everybody just seems so much more comfortable. It, it hasn't been an entire season of this is the best offense that has ever been played in NBA history like we saw for the first month. Um, but by and large, I mean, they have bought into kind of the way that they want to play, um, getting paint touches, moving the ball around, trusting your teammates, making the extra pass, um, playing a, a brand of basketball that is not primarily based on isolation, even though they have a couple of really good isolation players. And the, the idea behind this whole thing is that against a defense like the Bucks or a defense like the Warriors that they saw in the finals last year, that they won't kind of bog down and end up taking a bunch of like tough, pull-up jumpers, um, and that they'll be able to sustain the kind of flow that at their best even last season like made them look sort of unbeatable. Um, so I've been very encouraged by just kind of the development that we've seen from them as a team. Defensively, they can still sort of do everything. They'll be elite on that end. The Bucks have been a little bit better on that end that they have um, than they have this year, but I still have some questions about their offense. I mean, even in this stretch, like they didn't lose a game, in February, they were still, like, according to the website, Clean the Glass, they were the 12th best um, offense in the NBA. And we'll see if that's enough balance for them. In the playoffs, they still have Chris Middleton playing somewhat limited minutes um, coming off of his injury. Um, Joe Ingles has made a good impact. Jake Crowder, they just picked up, and I think he's a like perfect fit on their team. So you're, you're talking about two teams that, like, might be the two. Um, I don't know if you want to say they have better championship odds than, like, anybody in the left but like you could make the argument that like the eastern conference finals if it's them will end up determining um the title winner i lean celtics other people lean bucks based on how hot they've been lately like i don't know i just i just want to see the series james fantastic stuff appreciate the time as always for us and we'll be doing this again really soon Awesome. Thanks for having me. Once again, he is James Herbert, CBSSports.com, talking all things NBA. And, uh, yeah, it seems like the Bucks and the Celtics have separated themselves out of the East. And that could – I hope that that ends up getting itself into the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's the, the showdown that we all get. Absolutely. Uh, you know, last year, of course, they – I don't know if it was an epic series. I mean, it was obviously a contested series, but, uh, you know, maybe a little disappointing at the end. But uh, clearly they're the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think right now they're the two best teams in the NBA. I'm not quite buying the Nuggets yet. Will... Well, you know what? We went a little bit long there with James, so we'll push phone call time to 12.15 today. So we'll take your calls if you're interested at 12.15 today, 602-260-1060. More Extra Point on the other side of the break here on KDOS AM 1060 and online at KDOS1060.com. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Eleven 
844 right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com. Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A brief look at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. After round one yesterday, John Rahm was in the lead. 65, 7 under par yesterday. This statistic here from Justin Ray on Twitter that Rom has made at least one eagle in all of his six PGA Tour starts so far in 2023. In total, he's had 10 in 21 rounds. That's some pretty dang good golf. Also from Justin Ray, that Rom is seeking his fourth PGA Tour win of the 2023 season in his sixth start. Over the last 50 years, Tiger Woods in 2008 is the only golfer to win four of his first six PGA Tour starts in a calendar year. However, what we were discussing, the wind, uh, certainly has been wreaking havoc on these players. It was, I wouldn't say calm, but by standards, more calm in the morning really started to rear its head toward, oh, probably about 13, 14 holes into John Rahm's round this morning. He struggled, really missing a lot of fairways, not putting himself in great position. He shot 76 today, so he's three under par for the tournament, sitting in a tie for 13th. And Bob, I know you know this golfer. He's mm. what everyone expected to be leading the golf tournament here so far after 36 holes. Kurt Kitayama, he's sitting at nine, nine under par. Oh, man, Kurt. Yeah. I believe he's from Las Vegas, actually. Oh, okay. I, maybe I've run into him before. <laughs> so, but, but my point here is that, you know, in this trend of the top of the board rising to the top in these elevated events, uh, we haven't been able to get somebody in a, a 50 to 1 range to win a golf tournament in a really long time. Kurt Kitayama sitting right now uh, in nine under par with a three stroke lead heading into the weekend. Still plenty of golf to go, so anything can happen. Uh, Xander Shoffley playing really well. He shot two under par this morning. He's at six under par in a tie for second. Corey Connors as well tied with him in uh, a second place right now. Patrick Cantlay is in a tie for fourth at five under par. In the other odds on favorite to win the tournament, Rory McIlroy. He struggled yesterday, played well today, shot three under par, two under for the tournament in a tie for 22nd. Scotty Scheffler, he is even on his round so far today through four holes. He is in a tie for seventh at four under par. So you're just kind of waiting for the carnage to take place here with the, the really gusty, windy conditions. Currently, the projected cut line is one over par with the majority of the afternoon wave to complete their round. So we'll continue to monitor how things are going in the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but certainly playing golf in the wind. And I would say... If it's a steady, consistent wind, you can figure it out. And it, it, you're mentally taxed by the end of the day. It's not a whole lot of fun. But when you have a certain wind and then, boom, the gusts start to pick up, that's when it's really unnerving over some certain shots. And it's really, that's what makes it even more challenging is these major gusts and something that's like a constant, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden it gusts to 35. That's when things get really challenging. And you could just have some terrible luck hitting a shot as soon as the gust uh, picks up. And then you are at the mercy of where your golf ball ends up due to the wind. So could be for some interesting scores here this afternoon. We'll see how some of the top guys perform. 
uh, and, and you're really in control of your golf ball and really in control of your game if you're able to penetrate the wind and have it do what you think it's going to do and have it do what you want it to do. So like I said, we'll continue to monitor things in the Arnold Palmer Invitational from Orlando, Florida. Hour number one, we wrap it up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me the Doug Gottlieb show 1 3 p.m. Wrapping up hour number one here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports Bob Kemp Kayla Mortolaro with you the Phoenix Suns, they are in Chicago tonight, 6 p.m., Valley Sports, Arizona. For sure, we know Terrence Ross with his toe is listed as questionable. For sure, we know Landry Shamit went back to Phoenix and is set to be reevaluated next week, according to Dwayne Rankin. Here is now what's interesting. Uh, Kevin Durant has been uh, quoted in a Dwayne Rankin article of Arizona Republic and azcentral.com that he feels great and is listed as available and is also quoted as ready to go for tonight's game. However, the market movement is is uh, puzzling, if you will. Right, Bob? Puzzling is an excellent word. Uh, this game has gone from six and a half yesterday afternoon and late last night. In fact, when I wrote this up for today, last night, it was still sitting at six. And uh, right now, pretty much uh, places worldwide, this game is down to three and a half with the Suns, the road favorite. And I can't think of another reason that it would go down like that unless there's some folks, and plural on the folks, that are wondering whether Durant's playing or not. And it wouldn't shock me because, remember, they obviously ease Booker back into things. Uh, and it's not exactly, you know, chronologically time-wise back-to-back. But they play tonight. And remember, they have a Sunday morning game in, in Dallas. That's correct, yes. Uh, 11 a.m. on ABC, in which the Mavericks are coming off of a 133-126 to win against the 76ers. Luka, 42 points on 13 of 22. Kyrie, 40 points on 15 of 22. And the Mavericks don't play again until that Sunday game. So for the Suns, they play tonight in uh, Chicago, and the Mavericks don't play again until that Sunday uh, 11 a.m. contest here. So when it comes to the standings, and the way that things are shaking out in the NBA West, that could be an important game. That's true. Um, you know, I guess every, every game in the, in the you know the Western Conference is, uh, I guess, statistically or standings-wise, an important game. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I'm curious. I hope everybody plays tonight for many reasons, uh, but also I think this is a much better indication of. Yeah, you know, I'm curious how the Suns defend because. You know, at least the Bulls have some capable scorers, which is something that Charlotte does not have. Uh, and Charlotte had a ton of open looks in that game on uh, on Wednesday night, and uh, they just couldn't do anything about it because they're just bad. 
Uh, but DeRozan, obviously, is averaging 25 a game. Levine's like 24 a game. And uh, those guys you know, are capable of scores. Uh, and uh, I think that's much more of a challenge for the Suns, uh, in, at least at the defensive end. Also, the, the Bulls are... They're bad, but at least they're over 500 at home. And the Suns, even you know, with all the things going on, they're still just 13 and 19 on the road this year. I'm also curious to to see that matchup between DeAndre Ayton and Vucevic because Vucevic uh, has averaged 19.6 points, 11.3 rebounds, 1.9 assists in nine games versus DeAndre Ayton. So I'm just kind of curious to see how that matchup kind of unfolds and, and if Kevin Durant does play, how maybe that spacing and everything can can change itself for Ayton on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, Vucevic, uh, you know, unless he's become the greatest defender of all time this year when I haven't watched the Bulls other than the game that they played here, uh, he's not a good defender. Uh, so, we'll, you know, like I said, unless he's had a startling turnaround at the defensive end and, you know, he's uh, – they had uh, – you know, I, I, they had a game in college, I remember, back in the USC U of A days, uh, which was, you know, spirited. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know if that you know, five years, four years later, I don't think it matters, but uh, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting. And I guess, you know, if he doesn't play, if Kevin Durant doesn't play tonight, I mean, I think that, I guess, expresses importance of uh, the, the Western Conference games versus what's going on right now in, in just an overall totality of win totals. Uh, but I would like to see them on the, the floor and on the court. And there was a bit of an excitement about, you know, Kevin Durant playing against the Hornets. And there wouldn't have been excitement for a Suns and Hornets matchup before Kevin Durant's debut. So, you know, you, you've you've kind of enticed us a little bit with what KD, what this offense is going to look like, how they're going to look. Don't don't take it away yet. Well, if I'm the Suns, I'm seriously thinking about taking it away because they, they, they've been really good at nursing guys back from injury. Uh, and nursing, I think, is the right word. I Obviously, they got burned on Christmas night when they brought back Booker way too fast and ended up missing several games after that because uh, they rushed him back so quickly. So uh, if uh, I would err on the sh- you know err on the you know the, the caution side of things here for sure, but we'll see what happens. But not knowing for sure, I've been looking for stuff for the last half hour. And I'm not really finding much, uh, but certainly the market reflects that you know, there are plenty of people that think that uh, something's going on here. A six point, you know, six and a half to three and a half point move in an NBA game in a t- less than 24 hour period. And when you don't have something official uh, from a team or from Woj or whoever, uh, that's, that's unusual. Let's put it that way. Porta Subs is slicing up the quality you crave. Your favorite sliced fresh premium meats and cheeses on your signature fresh baked bread loaded with fresh veggie toppings and savory sauces. Download the new KDOS 1060 app and make yourself eligible for the Porta Subs grand prize. Hour number two of Extra Point is next.